0: Welcome to the Supergirl Supercast on the Incomparable Network. I'm your host, Dan. Today, I'm joined by Scott. Hi there. Alan.
1: Hello.
0: And Jess. Hi. All right. This week, we're going to be going over Season 2, Episodes 13 and 14. So, Scott, do you want to
2: start us off with the recap from Episode 13? Sure. Episode 13 is Mr. and Mrs. Mixix Piddalick, On this Valentine's episode, aired the week after, we find out Wynn has a thing for strong alien women, and Maggie has PVSD, post valentines stress disorder. Kara and Monel continuing the almost season-long will-they-or-won't-they, are interrupted by Mixis Pidilic, spelled like it sounds, who is much more open about his desire for Kara. If this was a different comic book franchise, one might say mon spends most of the rest of the episode yelling Hulk smash, as he suggests and even tries repeatedly to just murder the little lovelorn omnipotent being. Meanwhile, Alex and Maggie continue to try to have the most uncomfortable Valentine's Day ever. In the end, Kara tricks Mixie back into his own dimension, and half the cast end the episode in bed. <laughs> All right.
3: Nicely done. Uh,
0: so, yeah, let's dive in. Um, we kind of resumed this episode right where we left off in the last one with Car uh, and Monel in Car's apartment professing their true feelings for one another. <laughs> uh, one, one note I had is wow. Even though they're like, just professing their love for each other, Monel got possessive really quick. Oh, yeah. And I was very uncomfortable with that.
2: Yeah, literally within
0: minutes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And his jealousy escalated. It went from zero to 60.
0: <laughs> yeah. In both of these episodes, like the Kara Monel relationship is, is very strange and does not feel right. There's a lot of this possessive nature by Monel and them just not listening to each other at all. Yeah.
2: Well, and I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop on Monel's secret identity, and he's going to have to end up off the show, and then she's just sad about it anyway. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I have to say, if if Monel ends up off the show, I won't. I mean, he he's perfectly charming on his own, but I mean, I didn't. I don't feel like Melissa Benoist has that much chemistry with Monel, and uh, I mean, of all the people that she's had, you know, uh, that she might have uh, been tied to. The only person whom she's really had any chemistry with was Barry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of true.
0: This show seems to just keep throwing suitors at uh, Kara,
3: and none of them seem to stick. Yeah, and I mean, none of them seem... I mean, honestly, none of them deserve her, really, uh, based on the way they've they've been treating her. Yeah, you can say that for
0: a lot of the people in this show. They... They're all pretty terrible people at times.
3: Yeah, and, and I mean, to to go back to, like, the suitors, I think what's most interesting was that in season one, she had a date with uh, Adam Foster, like, Cat Grant's son, played by Blake Jenner, her husband, in real life, and they had no chemistry back then. And they are now divorced. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I wonder if it's not so much that they're all kind of terrible people in a way. I think it's not so much that is that they're very immature, especially on an emotional level. They're very sophomoric when it comes to uh, relationships, like any relationships. Uh, So I don't think it's that they're not good or like, you know, they're just, I think it's because it's on the CW and this is the audience that they're aiming for.
2: Yeah, I I know it's on CW, but, you know, I I could skip an episode of Kara's love life.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure.
2: Just all the drums. <laughs> there are other single people on the show we could focus on for an episode or two.
1: I do appreciate mon as like an object lesson because he's sort of the, um, what not to do the, especially when it comes to boundaries and like literally not listening to people or not respecting people's wishes or pre- specifically Kara's wishes. So, I mean, it's, Very uncomfortable at times because they really do brush it off as cutesy. But I think especially in the next episode, uh, he gets like firmly slapped down. Mm -hmm. So I do appreciate that.
3: Yeah, and yeah. for this episode, I do kind of like uh, the stark contrast between what Mon does and what Wynn does. Because, I mean, Wynn in this episode, he's also someone who gets rescued by a strong female character. And then, so whereas Mon goes straight to the masculine toughness, like. You know, uh, the complete wrong way of doing things. When you know he he was genuinely grateful. He talks to uh, Lyra about what he wants, and then you know he ends up with with a much nicer relationship. So I I, I do appreciate uh, that kind of contrast. I I I just feel like I wish I could have. I wish it didn't feel so much like you know they're they're pushing a message on you. I I feel like it's it's an important lesson for them to learn. I I wish I could have been done a little bit more subtly. Yeah, I can see that.
0: Alright. How about we uh dive more into the meat of this episode uh and meet our uh fifth dimensional imp pal. So <laughs> um I thought it was interesting when uh like the first thing that he, Mixie did was send uh Monel to the DEO in his underwear. And uh John was very nonplussed by him just appearing out of nowhere in his underwear. That kinda felt a little cartoonish to me that there wasn't any reaction.
1: Yeah. It was understated for sure.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think if they'd taken it seriously then it would have, you know, crushed the joke there. And so mm-hmm. they just I- ignore the fact that he, you know, teleported into a secret government facility. Just laugh at him at his underpants.
0: Mm-hmm. I-, I also like the uh, the fact, like, when he Mixie was talking about you know, what he can and can't do. The uh, I did like the joke about the, uh, oh, I can't make you drink orange juice for some reason. And then that comes back later in the uh, Fortress of Solitude, when she comes in with a glass of orange juice.
2: Well, and I really like Mixus Pitilic, you know, as a character and as a a non-traditional villain. It's not just a monster of the week. You know, he's not trying to destroy the world or kill all humans or you know take out the deo he's just you know has his own little agenda and makes things exciting and and then he's gone it's you know not super serious
1: yeah for someone with incredible powers he is very it's it's nice that he he doesn't want to kill anyone because uh he could kill everyone
3: yeah and it's fun that you know he's i mean unlike you know like villains who want to take over the world or whatever uh you know he's he's just truly chaotic he's like a real agent of chaos and he has no rules with regards to like what he does except from the orange juice and uh and and like he can't force Carlos to love her but you know he he just does his own really wild crazy thing and and that that was kind of really good uh with regards to like injecting a bit of comic relief in their villains every once in a while
0: yeah this was um a fairly lighthearted episode in that way and a l- pretty lighthearted villain. Cause you know, there wasn't any real danger through the episode. It was just more of an annoyance.
2: And you know, most shows have a, you know, an A plot and a B plot. This one had A, B, C and D as you have three different relationship plots, plus the fifth dimensional being who can destroy everything.
0: But instead he just, you know, makes Hamilton references. <laughs>
2: Yeah, he seemed very well versed in uh, Earth culture for having just shown up.
0: Right. Much in contrast to Monel, who, you know, doesn't know anything. Um, like, at one point, uh, somebody said, Oh, this, it's Valentine's Day. And right after that, Mon-El was like, What is this Valentine's Day? I'm like, come on, dude. You just heard it said out loud. How do you screw that up?
2: Well, and I believe it's this episode that Wynn says that he gave Monel his Netflix password so he could get a little bit more up to speed on things.
0: Oh, no, that was actually the next episode.
3: I will say there was this one line, uh, I think, in in the actual fight in The Fortress of Solitude when Mixie calls Kara a nasty woman. And I don't know if that remark will ever be non political again.
0: Well, that was, uh, we had a similar reference a couple episodes ago. Uh, I think it was another nasty woman comment.
3: Yeah, it's just like every time I hear that phrase uttered, I will always think about the twenty sixteen election. Yeah.
2: So on top of the the Mixie plot and the, you know, Car and Monel plot, we also spent a lot of time this episode on Alex trying to enjoy Valentine's Day with Maggie. And this whole plot was just kind of awkward to me.
0: Yeah, me too. Like, Alex really seemed to be overdoing it with everything they did, or like she did. Um, like, even from the first, like, card she got from her mom, one, I thought Maggie was kind of rude just to, like, snatch it, the letter out of her hand before she had a chance to read it and just read it out loud. And then they're like, you know, there's the whole story of why Maggie does not like Valentine's Day.
2: Yeah, and you know, not my situation, I haven't been through that, but to just hate Valentine's Day from then on because something, you had a bad situation with your family on that day, I would have thought in, you know, the 15 years since that time, she would have separated, you know, the horrible people from the day itself.
1: Oh, no. (laughs) I, uh, no, I mean, I feel like that's why that's why you get people who hate Christmas and stuff, right? It's because something terrible happened to them that on that one day, and it's just so ingrained into that day for them that they can't ever separate it. Uh, And especially something like that, which is literally traumatic. This whole plot actually really bothered me because, you know, why does Alex's, you know, appreciation of Valentine's day have to trump Maggie's literal trauma surrounding it? Like, It disappointed me, actually, because, you know, on such a feminist show, it feels like, especially one that is trying so hard to uh, promote ideas of consent and listening to your partner and all of that stuff. Uh, You know, why does it? I don't know. It just...
2: Maggie's solution is giant tiramisu and lingerie. (laughs) Yeah. That's her way of solving it. And then the only way, like you said, for everyone to be happy is to oh, I was just overreacting. It's all fine. Let's do this. Let's have a prom. And that seems even worse because, you know, prom is where it happened.
0: Right. I I felt that was kind of weird that to make it up to Alex, who wanted to do, you know, the normal Valentine's Day stuff, Maggie decided to recreate the source of her trauma. Yeah. It felt kind of backwards. It did. Though it seems like In this episode especially, those two are kind of tone deaf to each other's needs. Like what we were saying, uh, I think, Scott, what you were saying before with not acknowledging each other's wants and needs for this and just being like, no, this needs to
2: be about me.
3: Well, but isn't every CW show contractually obliged to have some character miscommunication somehow?
2: Yeah, I think that's every episode.
3: So
0: let's get back to the A plot a little bit. Talk a bit more about uh, Mixel Pitlick, and you know we had uh, we had his intro. He you know brings back Parasite to save the day and wears a a Superman outfit (laughs) with a giant M on it. So I know the the S is supposed to be the symbol for hope on Krypton. What do you think the
2: M stands for? I don't know, all, all it reminded me of was how many weeks ago was it they were supposed to give mon an outfit?
0: Yeah, they seem to be really dragging that
3: out. Well, he gets one in the next episode, right? It's just his regular black clothes and red sunglasses from what it looks like.
2: Yeah, I, I'm just waiting for a real costume for, you know, if he's going to be out there doing something. You know, you can't have Guardian giving you, you know, one-upping you on fashion.
0: Right. Speaking of Guardian, I, did we see um James in either of these episodes? No, not at all.
2: There was a there Which was a couple mentions was. of mentions of when you know, having his other job and he's just like, oh not right now.
0: Yeah. I was glad to not have to deal with the whole Guardian subplot, because I'm getting really tired of that.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say that, you know, with the Guardian subplot, I'll just kind of echo what was said before that, you know, I don't I feel like they try and like him wanting to be guardian and wanting to be a superhero so much that just pushes the idea that you know you have to be out there punching people to be a superhero whereas he could do a lot of good just you know being a good boss and leading uh catco in a good way
2: definitely and following up on uh the fight and you know mixie bringing out a superman costume then we decide we're going to pull out a bunch of alien artifacts that have been in the basement the entire time of the DEO.
0: And just leave them on a conference table.
2: Leave them on a conference table in front of the guy who said he wants to murder the alien.
1: Yeah, I was actually... It really surprised me how, like, the had no hesitation when it came to trying to kill Mixie. Yeah. Like, none at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like, in the duel, it's like, you get the guns, and he just turns around and shoots them right away.
1: Yeah. Yeah, again, it, like... It worries me a little, you know, who, who, I mean, we, I, I know that, I know that they needed to have him be jealous and I know that they needed to have him want to, I guess they needed to have him want to kill Mixie, but it just seemed like very sudden (laughs) and, and just maybe a little out of character, but I guess, I don't know. Is
0: it?
2: (laughs) Well, is it out of character or is it in character with his secret identity that we don't know about? Oh. You know, is murder, his solution for everything. He just hasn't done it recently.
3: And going on that just a little bit, I feel like from all the lessons that Kara has been teaching Mon-El, from all the stuff that he's... I don't feel like he's really progressed much from when we first met him. He's still kind of impulsive. He just does whatever he feels like is the first thing that comes to his mind. And I I wish that he would show more growth as a character. That would make him more interesting.
1: I think he... I really liked what they did with this character in the next episode. Like, I think that episode does show some growth of character and, you know, some intelligence um, and some, you know, he he seems to be pretty reckless in the Mixie ep- episode and, you know, actually has awareness and thoughtfulness in the next episode. So I think he does progress.
0: Yep. So let's uh, talk about, The conclusion of the A-plot when they go up to the Fortress of Solitude. So like I mentioned before, I thought it was hilarious when she just came flying in with a giant glass of orange juice. Look, I'm drinking
2: it, but you can't make me.
0: Also, I I like the gigantic crystal statue of Jor-El. That must have uh, eaten up a lot of the CG budget this episode.
3: Yeah, that giant statue kind of reminded me of how in... um Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, like Gotham City, is just populated by these huge statues for no reason. And that looks exactly like one of those.
2: Yeah, we don't know Superman that well to know his interior designer in this particular series.
0: So when Kara was going through her plot to uh, trap him and blow up the Fortress of Solitude, I I thought it was funny. She mentioned that there's the uh, atomic cauldron in the Fortress of Solitude. And she said it was one of the most powerful fusion furnaces on Earth. And I was like, are there multiple? Who else has them? That's
1: funny. I didn't catch that.
2: <laughs> you know, maybe there's other fortresses, you know, backup fortresses of solitude somewhere. Maybe.
1: I do have a question about that whole scene, which is like the whole, the whole idea is that it's a standoff. She is willing to kill them both uh, to avoid having to marry him. Right. But I kind of assumed that she was more or less, um, you know, uh, like she can't be killed. I don't know. Maybe I'm I don't know enough about uh, Superman lore, but I assumed that she was basically indestructible.
0: They seem to turn her powers up and down a lot on this show. So sometimes she's completely invulnerable. Then sometimes any random alien can hurt her. It's very inconsistent.
2: Well, now in at least two episodes this season, she has gone to Superman's personal uh, retreat and messed things up. You think at some point he, he would be like, hey, cousin, could you quit, you know, messing up my place?
3: Yeah, or clean up after of yourself <laughs> once you're done. You,
2: you kind of wrecked some statues and destroyed my robot, and uh, it'd be great if you put those back.
3: I will say I like the conclusion of the A-plot in that it's a villain that, you know, she has to outsmart, that it's not, you know, that she doesn't defeat Mexi by punching him or something. And that, again, stands into stark contrast with uh, what Monel wants to do. So she has to use her intelligence rather than just, you know, punching him unconscious or something.
2: Well, I'm a big yeah. Star Trek fan, so that's how every episode ends, isn't it? Of every <laughs> TV show?
0: Basically.
3: Yeah, I did appreciate
1: that she outsmarted him and, uh, you know, used her savvy rather than her punchy fists.
0: Mm -hmm. And apparently, while Mixie did learn a lot about Earth pop culture, uh, he didn't bother looking at any Kryptonian because he couldn't understand their stupid moon language.
2: He did have a guide with him, though, in case he needed to look something up.
1: Was it moon language? I thought it was rune language.
2: Oh, I heard moonlight. Yeah, moon Maybe is what I heard, language. but <laughs> rune would make more sense, but you know, yeah. for comedic effect, moon is probably what they were going for, like the underpants joke earlier.
0: All right. And then after uh, after she's defeated Mixie, we have our requisite uh 10 minutes of relationship talk at the end. And man, everybody everybody got it on <laughs> this episode. Yeah. So we had we had Wynn and his new alien friend Lyra.
1: Yeah, how do we feel about Lyra?
0: I I really like that the way she was introduced was basically a, a Star Wars callback because yeah. he got uh, when Wynn was in the bar, he got the two guys uh, you know messing with him like in the cantina scene. Yeah, in Star Wars, and she comes in like Obi Wan, but instead of cutting off the guy's arm, she just beats the crap out of him.
2: Yeah, I I think in this episode and the next one, they don't really give a lot of information about her, but she seems interesting with Wynne, if nothing else. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I do like how Wynne seems to be like, uh, the way he's progressing with this relationship is sort of like the right way to do it, (laughs) whereas uh, Alex and and Kara are having their, like, basically serious problems with their relationships or communication issues anyway. Um, so it's nice that Win is getting a win. Oh, I see That's what a pun.
0: There. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it seems like Win is the most um, emotionally functional person on this show, at least this season.
3: Yeah, and the most mature with regards to handling his relationships.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And also, on a character design standpoint, I mean, uh, I know Buffy was a very old show, but I'm only starting to catch up on it now on Netflix, and the uh, face design on Lyra's character looks quite a bit like the vampires on Buffy.
0: Now that you mention it, yeah, that does, uh, Yeah, she does look like a Buffy vampire.
2: Yeah, she's also the first alien, I've noticed, that's really just walk around like that outside and doesn't turn human or disguise themselves
0: yeah I, I like this this uh relationship that they're building and i i'm interested to see what they do with it
2: yeah and the only ones i can think of that we didn't have really relationship moments were olsen who wasn't on the episode and john jones sent a valentine's day card even though miss martian isn't isn't there at the moment so at least he got a got mm-hmm. a card in the mail didn't he
0: say something about them having an equivalent holiday to Valentine's Day.
2: I think early on, and I, I think that's where they also set up the writing it down is more important.
0: Yeah, writing it down is like say, saying something.
1: Yeah, to write something down is to truly say it.
0: Yep, that was it. So, yeah. All right. Any other uh, any other thoughts on this episode?
1: It doesn't really connect to anything, but one of my favorite moments in this episode was um, in the very beginning when uh, Kara's chasing down the... Um, like the bank robbers or whatever, and uh, mm-hmm. and Mixie shoots them with their own gun, and she has to catch all the bullets, and then like barely catches the last one, and then one of them says, "Thank you, Supergirl," and she just elbows him in the face.
3: <laughs> oh, that was a great! One. <laughs> I had that written
0: down too. That was great.
1: It was amazing.
2: Yeah, they keep doing those, and I keep wondering: is that the most dangerous thing going on in this town? Are are there that Use many... Jewelry heists? Yeah, you know, that many robberies? Like, can we leave that to the police and you just take care of the, you know, alien invasions, maybe?
3: Well, maybe she's just so fast she can do everything.
1: Yeah, they're kind of doing the same thing on The Flash, too, where Wally keeps saving these... Like, catching these totally incompetent run-of-the-mill bank robbers for no reason. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it it could leave people to the impression that banks get robbed a lot more than they actually do.
3: (laughs) In the broad daylight, even. Yeah, though, specifically on this universe, given that the world knows about Superman and Supergirl, I have to wonder, when the robbers shoot them, what do they expect will happen? I mean, you know that they'll just brush it off. Why do you keep shooting them?
0: She even says that to them. (laughs)
2: Yeah, and and wouldn't they move on to, you know, some sort of online piracy or, you know, some sort of wire transfer fraud, and then Supergirl shows up and just like, I'm not sure what to do with this.
0: She just goes through the documents very, very quickly and, you know, builds the case.
3: And then Wynne can magically hack whatever they did.
0: All right. Well, how about we move on to episode 14, Homecoming? Alan, do you want to give us a recap?
3: Yeah, okay, so Cadmus is transporting a weapon which is Jeremiah Danvers chained up in a trailer. Supergirl rescues him, everyone's glad he's back, except mon who asks why Cadmus made it so easy when the D.E.O. hasn't been able to find him for a year. Monel and Wynn suspect he's a spy, Wynn catches him hacking into classified case files, Kara is suspicious and Alex is furious. Turns out Jeremiah is working with Cadmus, and while he holds out a nuclear fusion bomb as a distraction, he steals some files by sticking a flash drive onto a computer monitor. He overpowers John and some DEO agents with his cybernetic arm and runs away. Wynn had a tracker on him so Supergirl and Alex confront him, the real Hank Henshaw and Lillian Luther. Supergirl saves a train while Alex lets Jeremiah go because she doesn't realize she can shoot him without killing him. Jeremiah stole an alien registry and the episode ends with a shot of a giant plane and the nuclear fusion bomb that Cadmus has. Lillian Luther says she wants the Earth to be free forever, which means nothing.
2: Yeah, I feel like this will go down in history as the episode that you will tell your friends. If you're catching up on Netflix, just skip that one. It'll just make you angry. Yes,
0: this made me so infuriated.
2: People were just not acting like people. Yeah. And you know, I've, yeah. I've never personally been in a secret government organization, but... I'm pretty sure every organization has protocols for this person's been, you know, for 15 years tortured. Maybe we shouldn't give them full access to everything.
0: Yeah. So let's kind of step through the uh, rings of insanity that went on in this episode. (laughs) Um, So, you know, uh, Jeremiah gets back and they're all happy and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, that evening they go back to like Kara's apartment or having dinner. And this is when, you know, Monel first kind of is like, hey, isn't this a little weird? And people get super upset with him, really, for no reason. Like, I noticed Alex uh, was very confrontational when he correcting him, saying, because uh, Monel said, oh, Jeremiah returned to us. And then, Alex very uh, pointedly said, you mean
2: rescued, right?
0: And it's just like, man, they just seem to be inviting conflict.
2: Yeah, if there was a twist at the end where all the cast was replaced by aliens or robots, I probably would have bought it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and also, why would they be not suspicious given that you just fall off two shape-shifting aliens in your very own organization? Mm-hmm
1: yeah and I mean, uh, Jean has been suspicious of not suspicious of but cautious of Superman from the beginning. Uh, so why wouldn't he at least show some wariness to you know towards Jeremiah? I don't know it the whole thing was very unnuanced.
0: yeah, and one thing I realized like when they were having all these arguments at Kara's place, That was the same day they rescued him. This was literally less than 12 hours after they got him back. And so it's like, it is very, very natural to be suspicious of this. But, you know, Alex especially was just like, no, he cannot be bad. Nothing wrong is, nothing is wrong with this situation at all.
2: Well, and not just. He's not bad, but not suspicious at all. You know, like you mentioned about a shapeshifter or they implanted something in his brain or literally anything at all that happens on this show. You know, just because it looks like dad, it must be good.
0: Also, I had a question. So they established that it's been 15 years since Jeremiah was captured by Cadmus. How long ago did Kara get on Earth? Because it was like only like 16, 17 years or something, so she was she like she only knew Jeremiah for a few years before he got captured, and so I I still felt it was like
1: yeah that timeline doesn't sound right, does it?
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, unless Kara is suddenly forty, yeah, you know, it doesn't quite jive, mm-hmm.
0: right? So it feels like yeah she could only have been around Jeremiah for a year or two before he disappeared, and so like. It makes sense for Alex to be much more on his side, you know, you know, growing up with him for what we can only assume what it would have been 13 years because she said she's 28. But yeah, but Kara, I think it'd be much more reasonable for her to be suspicious, which eventually she does become more suspicious when, you know, Wynne and Monel start investigating more yeah and so like yeah after uh john gives uh jeremiah the tour of the deo and gives him his access card again it's only been 24 hours since they rescued him and like john just leaves and they're standing right outside the mainframe and jeremiah goes in there and then like you know win confronts them and they're like oh yeah he was he hacked into the system and then his excuse was the worst excuse in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I was looking up old case files.
2: I just wanted to catch up with my kids by hacking into a secure system the first day I'm back.
3: Totally cool. And not talking, not talking to them when they're right in front of you.
2: <laughs>
3: I I just have in all caps in my uh,
0: in my notes. How does anyone believe that? That he broke in to look up some old case files. Why didn't he just ask them for access? Which I was very glad that at least, like, two scenes later, Kara brings up that exact point. But yeah. it just felt like, what is wrong with you people?
2: They they finally convince Kara that something may be going on. And instead of investigating it her further, her idea is to confront him in front of literally everyone. Yeah. <laughs> And give him the opportunity to be backed up by other people and come up with some lame story about, oh, I was just doing it for this reason.
1: Yeah. I mean, I actually had to pause this episode a few times because it was like, like the cringiness was too much. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: Um,
1: Yeah. And I especially didn't like, like, this whole episode feels like kind of a, a trope that just trots out. It gets trotted out a lot. You know, the why don't you believe me? Why aren't you on my side? It's my side or, you know, it's me or nothing or, you know, that kind of just black and white thinking. Um, But I think this whole episode would have gone a whole lot better if I didn't suspect Jeremiah from the beginning. Like if he had actually seemed like he wasn't being shifty (laughs) at all, (laughs) then it would have been a, a lot more interesting.
2: Well, and there, there are several other big tropes, and Alan touched on one, which is that the people who make this show have no idea how computers work. <laughs> that you oh God, can just yeah. Put, yeah. hold a jump drive up to a monitor and it copies everything off of it, the computer somehow. And then afterwards, he just shoots the monitor with a gun and their mainframes are down. That That's not how any of this works.
3: Yeah, I think in terms of uh, accuracy. This this for me ranks up as high as freezing lasers on the flash and bomb spray on Arrow. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, I, I'll give Arrow a pass sometimes on, on technical stuff, but you know, this is supposed to be the high-tech government anti-alien agencies. I kind of hope that they, you know, would have it a little bit more together.
3: Yeah, mm. at least have a screen protector on your screen or something. <laughs> Oh, and so uh, while we're on the topic of, like, technology, so when they say nuclear fusion bomb, I thought hydrogen bombs were already fusion bombs. That's nothing new. They tested one in the 50s, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, they don't need to, like, mine cars, heat vision to build a fusion bomb. They could have just, like, stolen one from a government facility or something.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of interpretation, and I think the they just use fusion because it sounds scarier. I mean, that could literally just mean solar-powered.
0: I also thought it was funny that they were like, oh, yeah, they built this fusion bomb by themselves. And then later in the episode, uh, Alex suggests, oh, well, maybe they built some sort of cloaking device. And Jeremiah just tosses that off and it was like, no, they need me to build that. And I'm like then who helped them build the bomb?
2: Well, and another technical thing that I just remembered is that he has problems with one arm, and with all of their medical technology that they use to heal aliens, they think he just has some nerve damage and don't notice that he's half robot.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'll say that if airports have metal detectors, I expect uh, the DEO office to have at least (laughs) one on their door.
2: And, and, you know, if you wanted to pass it off, well, it's some special biological thing. No, they show it. He looks like he, he he's all metal and steel. It looks like the Terminator.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was ridiculous.
2: <laughs> what, what were they doing to test him? Just poking him with a pen and asking how <laughs> <Yeah>. it feels?
1: <laughs> I mean, clearly they didn't x-ray
3: him. So, yeah.
2: Or MRI or CAT scan or anything else invented in the last 50 years.
3: Or they could have just touched his arm. Yeah. Yeah,
0: like as soon as uh as soon as John touched his arm, it made this big metal clank. Nobody
3: touched his arm even when they were examining him? Yeah, none of his daughters hugged him.
2: Yeah, this entire plot could have could have been sabotaged by a refrigerator magnet. <laughs> yep.
0: So, all right, now that we've got that out of our system, <laughs> Anything else you guys want to discuss about the plot of this episode?
2: Well, when they do finally catch up to him, they bring out another trope that they keep bringing out in all of the CW shows, which is, oh, you caught up to us, but look, over there, a carefully staged tragedy. Only you can save those people on the train. Who would have thought that we might have done something like that?
1: Yeah. I'm also not clear on why why they were in the middle of the woods in the first place. <laughs> like, I don't know. It just seemed weird because Jeremiah, Jeremiah ran away, met them up, met up with them in the woods. And then they ran away from there. <laughs> like there was no reason to be there.
2: Also, why, why was the subway going through the woods? Well, in the amount of time she put spent putting the bridge back together, she probably could have just caught the train, stopped it and gone back and actually faced Cadmus. Instead of letting them walk away. And somehow the tracking device doesn't work anymore either. Oh, yeah. I I mean, especially since Cadmus seems to be three people. And it's like, you know, if you (laughs) caught these three people, it's literally over. All you have to do to save millions of people is just put these three people like in a hole or some zip ties or something. Yeah. And and how is it Kara and Alex and no one else came with them?
0: Well, the rest of the DEO is in sexual harassment training with HR.
2: <laughs> it turns out they're all in relationships with other people.
3: That bit was very funny, though. I mean, that was probably, like, one of one of, one of the better parts of the episode. I thought that was good.
0: Yeah, I, I did like how, when I was like, yeah, yeah, don't worry, I won't tell anybody, they walk in and he's just like, hey, everybody!
1: Yeah, that was another one of those things that they played off as cute and made, like, yeah, it was mm-hmm. funny, but it, like, rubs me the wrong way because it's definitely like directly going against her wishes
0: oh yeah there was a lot of yeah
1: but at least now it seems like he gets that i hope i hope he doesn't keep doing that because that would be terrible
3: yeah i hope so too because i mean again if if he continues to ignore what kara says then i seriously question why she sticks with him
0: yeah although there was the the point where um Alex and Kara were arguing and Alex just said to Kara, like, you sound exactly just like Monel. You know, you don't have to take every stance that he takes. And I'm like, this is like the only time she's ever done that. And also, it's a super reasonable stance to take to be suspicious of this guy who came back after 15 years and hacked into the mainframe to, quote, read some old case files.
1: Yeah, Alex was extremely frustrating in this episode, like, to the point where it didn't make sense.
3: Right, mm-hmm. because I can buy Kara being the hopelessly naive one, but when Alex is just as, if not more hopelessly naive, then it strains credibility, uh, credulity, I think.
1: Yeah, and I, she said something towards the end. Of, Alex said something to Kara towards the end of the episode that was like... Kind of implied that Jeremiah was her father, like real you know that she wasn't he wasn't really Kara's father, which I thought was a super low blow that Alex probably would never say that right i don't know
3: mm-hmm. it really
1: bothered me that whole plot line bothered me
3: and another really just strange out of character and bad line was like you know there's a line in the sand, and if you're not with the family, then you're against us i mean this this is like you know it, You're not actually fighting each other. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I feel like the whole cast needs to go into some sort of, you know, family therapy after this. That, hey, you guys can disagree without being absolutely horrible people to each other.
1: But that said, Alex's breakdown at the end of the episode when she realized that Jeremiah really was betraying them. And, you know, her sadness was, I don't know, I thought it was well done like well act it was a well acted scene she seemed really broken i appreciated that at least although again like clearly jeremiah isn't just a bad guy there's something more to it and she just refuses to hear it so it's just more of the same
2: well and that that brings us to there there's one more trope in the end of the plot which is that supposedly he's not really a bad guy he just made a deal with cadmus and pinky swear I'm sure they want to kill all the aliens on the planet and all, you know, millions of other people, but don't worry. I'm sure they will keep their deal with you, wink wink.
1: Evil organizations always keep their word.
2: <laughs> and I'm just tired of that. Well, okay, I betrayed everyone I love and care about and put them in mortal danger, but I I have my my reasons.
3: Yeah, I'm betraying you guys for a good cause, don't worry.
2: And with the fact that he's one of again only three people in Cadmus, how is it that he couldn't have just given them some information on here's where Lena is go go put her in a hole and we can move on to a different plotline you know how how is any deal that they would have made him better than him just betraying Cadmus
3: yeah, what do you think their plan is so Lena Luther again says that she uh, Lillian Luther says she wants the earth to be free forever, but I mean do you Like, do you think she just means they want to kill all the aliens on Earth or something? I'm still not quite sure what exactly Cadmus wants. Oh, so apparently there's an alien registry. I thought we covered in a different
1: episode that uh, I think I thought it was one of the um, uh, episodes with the president. There was only one episode with the president where where they where they didn't want to have an alien registry. Isn't that a thing they did? Or maybe it's just. Oh, so it's.
0: Yeah, they have the alien amnesty act.
1: That's it. That's what I was thinking of.
0: Yeah, and I guess maybe the alien registry was part of that. Like, you get amnesty as long as you register.
3: Or maybe the DEO had their own secret roster of all the aliens on Earth. Right. Yeah, they probably would have that, wouldn't they?
2: Yeah, it's really just a list of people who checked into the bar.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's so convenient that they congregate there. Which,
0: they've been really adding that as a regular location in the past few episodes they have been spending a lot of time there, and I actually like it.
3: Yeah. And I also appreciate the resilience of the bar owners, given how many people have died, gotten in fights, gotten injured, like, like, uh, been attacked at the bar, and they are still in business.
0: It's the only uh, alien bar in town. Well, I can just (laughs) assume really
2: high markups.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Also, that bar has also got a lot of um, really intense making out going on. (laughs) Because there was... uh, in the last episode there were a couple of people like going at it and like knocking stuff over. And again it happened in this episode, I think, with Wynne and Lyra.
1: Yeah, actually one of the things that bothers me is that um it appears as though Lyra lives at the bar because that's anytime Wynn goes there, she's there. Like even in the middle of the day. <laughs> she's just there all the time.
2: Well, and I think this is the first episode I noticed that there's a bouncer in the bar, I guess to, you know, make sure no unsavory types come in, but he stands there with his back to the door. So he's not real good at his job. Like he just checks people out after they're already inside.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, actually that sounds about right.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I'm also not sure what the, uh, what the qualifications there, you know, are you an alien or are you just someone who likes aliens? Okay, fine. You know, are, are they trying to filter out the hate groups or is there a password?
0: All right. Uh, any other uh, thoughts on this episode?
2: Uh, there was one thing I just remembered: is that uh, Dad pulls Monel aside and says, "I know who you are."
0: Yeah.
1: Oh
2: yeah. We keep having these little bits, like every second or third episode of some sort of secret Monel backstory, but I didn't get the "I know who you are." Go. Oh, okay. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't seem that shocked by it either.
3: No. I mean those aliens are still looking for him, right?
0: As of a few episodes ago, yeah.
3: Oh, one last thing I have to add, and this is to uh build on something that Jess was saying, which I agree with, is that of these two episodes, uh you can really see how strong of a performer Kyler Lee is in, in playing Alex. I just wish because you know, you, you you do get uh the moment when she realizes uh Jeremiah was betraying them and then, you know, before that you got Uh, kind of uh, a range of emotions of her reacting to Maggie not liking Valentine's Day. And so it it, it shows that she's kind of got really strong acting chops. I just wish that, you know, she had better materials to work with.
2: Yeah, I really feel like the writers still, you know, they keep trying, but they still aren't sure what they want to do with her.
3: Yeah, it's,
1: I mean, I think this relationship with Maggie is taking her in very interesting directions, so I, I like that a lot, but but she does seem to default to being the, I don't know, the kind of the stick-in-the-mud
3: character, <laughs> so she's not always fun to see. And, and and she does have, like, rare flashes of humor, like, I really like the line in the previous episode when, you know, Kara asks what kind of stuff does Maggie like, and she goes, I don't know, guns? <laughs> Are you guns
0: and scotch. yeah.
2: Yeah, even her own girlfriend doesn't understand what her character's about.
0: <laughs> well, anybody have anything else?
2: Tell your friends to skip this episode.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there, were a
1: f- there were a few lines that were funny. There was this, the cool scene with, with Jean, like making three giant trucks flip over at once. That was pretty cool. I mean, it's not the worst. It's not good, but it's not the worst.
0: All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us. I'd like to thank all of our guests, Jess. Thanks, Alan. Thanks. This was fun. And Scott, up on the way. And, away. and I've been Dan. Thanks everybody for uh, joining us on this week's Supergirl Supercast.